Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Previously on House of Prayer. She comes out one day and she says that Mar- it's Marcos or it's me. One of us has to leave. I, and I think Anna convinced my mom Katanya was a demon too because my mama had Katanya out of wedlock and she said she was born in sin. I saw her one day in the room sitting on a little pot and I put my hand to my mouth, don't say nothing, don't say nothing. And I kissed her and uh, that was the last time I saw her alive. One night when I was rocking and I woke up and he's trying to start rocking, I was crying and I told him that Moses is dead. I saw him dead in a laundry basket. How can I live with myself? Like I felt like I was accessory to a murder. I just start feeling like just all conflicted and sick. Their family and their memory deserve justice and deserve closure. And I can't, you can't sweep a human life under the rug. I don't want to pretend like Moses never existed. Please take care when listening. Some of this is difficult to hear. Okay, so there was an incident that really, like, I have a hard time wrapping my head around, Mm -hmm. where Anna exercised such control over Odie Mm -hmm. that he went in the barn and he... Castrated himself, yeah. Castrated himself. Mm -hmm. This is a story about a man named Odie Pugh, one of the first members of the House of Prayer. So... What happened was, um, O.D. had sex (laughs) when he wasn't supposed to. O.D. was actually married to my mom. O.D. wasn't legally married to John Neal's mother. Anna had performed a spiritual ceremony, binding the two together. And then O.D. went and confessed to Anna what he did. So he went and told on himself. uh, Because that was another big thing out there. Confessing your sins. That was another. I had convinced people to tell on themselves. <laughs> the sin he's talking about is not that they had sex, but that they had sex in the sanctuary, the space where the group would come together to worship. That was definitely against the rules. I don't think he knew the punishment was going to be that extreme, but he probably thought he was doing something pious or holy by telling on himself. Uh, he probably thought he was. Doing the right thing, but Anna dropped like the harshest punishment that you can, you know, besides death. Uh, Anna told me, if it offends you, you got to cut it off. The script Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, because it's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven without your eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell. So Anna interpreted that as you didn't do what I say, so you got to castrate yourself. After your well spiritual ceremony with Odie, but you two had sex in the sanctuary, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. This is John's mother, Leavera. 
Odie Pugh died in 2011, so I don't have his side of the story. Anna didn't like that or what? Oh, no. Anna didn't like that. She took and shaved all my hair off. All on my hair had grown so nice and pretty and long. And she took and shaved. They had one. I don't know which brother she had. to shave. She might have had OD to do it. I don't know. All I know is that she had my hair shaved off of my head. Mm. And then we, when we had our little meeting or something, she had me to take off my hair covering and show that my head was bald. Okay. As a, you know, as an act of humiliation. But Odie did something pretty drastic as yep. a result too, right? Yep, she had him to cut off his, his private part. I mean, that's some powerful woman that you would have a man under such conviction or whatever, whatever, I don't know what she could have told him to make him want to cut off his private part. And he did it. Odie was eventually taken to a hospital in Georgia where his wounds were treated. We don't know how this injury affected the rest of his life. Did anyone try to talk him out of it? I don't think so. No, I don't think nobody tried to talk to him. Once Anna said something, you kind of, you did what Anna said. This is House of Prayer. I'm your host, Leela Day. And I'm Beth Karras. I reported this story. Chapter 6, Making the Call. Mike Lentz. Detective Mike Lentz of the Alachua County Sheriff's Office is trying to track down a woman named Sharon Beatty. He's been told she has information about things that went on at the House of Prayer. Inside information. Frank Beatty says his wife is with him, but he's going to talk to the detective first. My wife's real nervous about it because we don't really have no funds and stuff to be coming back to Florida and all that. I understand that. Yeah, you understand that? I understand that. Okay, because see, the information she's going to give you, it can can stand on its own merit. Frank and his wife both once lived at the House of Prayer. His wife has a very long history with the place— she lived there for almost a decade. Like I said, there's nothing to worry about. We're not going to um, swoop down there and arrest y'all for anything unless, you know, of course, you were involved in some murder or something, but I don't expect you to tell me uh, or talk to me if you were involved in that kind of stuff. But I do know that there's some things that you know that I would love to know about so that we can help these people. It takes a bit of time and some convincing, but eventually Sharon comes to the phone. Yeah. Hey, Sharon. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm all right. Okay. I just want you to know, I just want you to calm down and take a deep breath. Detective Lentz is using Sharon's married name at that time, Beatty. But her maiden name is Pew. She's Odie Pew's daughter. Odie is the man who castrated himself. Sharon and her family had lived at the House of Prayer since 1981. Her father was Anna's right hand. When did you, when did you first start going? All right, this we originally were back in Georgia. See, I lived with them in Georgia. Oh, that's where it started? Right. Okay. And then we moved to Florida like eight years ago. So all together, we've been together about nine years. 
Okay, so has it been in existence about nine years? Right. Okay. And who started this? Well, I believe originally God did, you know. I understand that, but... But um, her husband and my brother and my daddy. Sharon was nearly 20 when she got involved with the House of Prayer. When I was there, um, you know, I was under the influence of all that was going on, all that was around me, and I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't seeing clearly. And then it was a lot of fear, you know, because I took a lot of abuse, too. But Sharon isn't talking to the police now because she wants to report her abuse. She wants to talk about what she claims happened to the children who lived there. Yeah, she, yeah, she received She tells Mike Lentz stories about children who were allegedly abused while she was there, including the story about John Neal's little sister, Catania, who she says was beaten and died while living at the House of Prayer. Okay, did she die from these beatings? Yeah, what happened was, I believe, they, they, she started having seizures, and that's what brought them on, you know, because she was so little, her body couldn't take it, you know what I'm saying? I believe that's what brought them on. Anna has never been charged with the little girl's death, and she told John Neal she had nothing to do with it. Sharon also told the detective about John being hit regularly, including the time he was beaten and left with terrible scars all over his body. She even told the detective about Sabrina and how she had abandoned her son in Puerto Rico. In fact, it was Sharon's father, Odie, who took Sabrina and Marcos down to Puerto Rico, acting as a chaperone and making sure Sabrina followed Anna's instructions to leave her son there. At the House of Prayer, they called Sharon's father, Odie, Brother Adam. Do you think it was right? No. Uh, I know those things are wrong. Despite knowing these things were wrong, she stayed. Sharon was still there in 1986, so she remembers Moses, the little boy Anna had brought to the house of prayer. Okay, tell me what happened. Well, he was, you know, beaten. Today, Anna's facing first-degree murder charges for the killing of Moses. She pled not guilty. Okay, what happened to him? He, what she did, she put him in a, you know, like a straw hamper. Sharon tells the detective that the straw hamper was in the back of a closet. And inside, she found Moses. She says he was dead. Okay, did you see any marks on him? No, no, not then, because he was stuffed down in that thing. Okay, in the basket? Yeah. Okay. Did you pick him up? No. Okay, did you touch him? Okay, so, um, was there anything else in this hamper? Nothing. No, just him? He filled it up, it was a small, he filled it up. Was he on his back or his stomach? He was up straight. Standing up straight? Oh, but he was crouched down. Okay. You know. Was he clothed? I believe all he had on was like some undergarments. Why did she send you in there to check on him? Because she, I was one of the main ones a lot of times mm-hmm. that she would have do different things. Okay. You know. Did you not feed him also? But I don't know about that day. I can't particularly remember. Mm-hmm. But in the past? Oh, yeah, in the past. She would not feed it for, what, how long, you think? It's like sometimes three days. So after you went and told her this, what did she say? She said like she couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And what did she do? Did she, did she say she did it, or did she say she didn't no, need to do it? No, she don't admit to any of it, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I thought you mentioned earlier that she said she didn't mean to, to do anything or didn't mean to kill him. Yeah, well, she said that she didn't mean for it to happen. Okay. But not in the sense like she don't admit, she don't accept the truth about herself. Was there anybody else that was beating that child? No. Lori Vallow was the kind of woman who seemed to have it all. But that sweet girl next door was changing. She's lost her mind. So how does she pose a threat to your children? I don't know what she's going to do with them. I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two. Over the last year, I've been investigating the case of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. How together, police say they plotted the deaths of Lori's two children, JJ and Tylee, something they've denied. Join me in Madness of Two, available wherever you get your podcasts. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Sharon has just described seeing a dead body, but she goes on to say more. She tells the detective that her brother and father were involved in what came next, that Anna asked the two men for help once Moses' body was discovered. So this call not only puts Anna in jeopardy, it could mean trouble for her father and brother. Do you know where they took him? On the land. He stayed on that land. So you know they buried him somewhere out there? No. I don't know that. Uh, well, uh, Any idea? Did you ever hear anybody talk about it? Well, really, you know, oh, jeez. Um, it would be nice to give this child a proper burial. You know, that would be nice. Don't you think? Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, just, I, you know, I know I, you know, I don't want to get into holding back the line and stuff. I know where, you know, what happened to him. I, I know you know that. And, you know, but do you know where he's buried? He's not. See, I know what happened to him totally. Tell me what happened totally to him, Sharon. Yeah. Please. He, um, he was burnt. This call is extraordinary. Not only is Sharon telling the police that she saw Moses' dead body and that she knows how he was disposed of, but this call was made in 1992, almost 25 years before Anna's daughter Joy called the police. It would take Joy's call to finally get Anna arrested, but this call tells us the police had this information years before. Okay. Okay. 
present when, were you there when he was burned? Well, like, I seen the fire, I ain't, what happened was, the house was on one side and then the barn, where that happened was on the other. Okay. But my dad and brother was over there and I wanted to, you know, I was scared and it was just such a funny feeling, I wanted to be with them. So I would just walk back and forth from the house and okay. just, you know, all night long. Mm -hmm. Sharon finally left the House of Prayer for good a few years after Moses allegedly died. She was turning 30. She wanted out. So she walked away. Her father would leave the same year, but her brother Thomas would remain for another five. What this story shows is just how deeply involved Sharon's family was within the House of Prayer and just how scary it would have been to have that conversation with a detective. But this call left me with the question, why wasn't Anna arrested years ago? I reached out to now-retired detective Mike Lenz to ask about his investigation. How did, what did you do with the information? Like, how did you set about proving if a child was basically cremated, killed and cremated in Micanopy at the House of Prayer? Well, the first thing I did is I went out to the House of Prayer in Micanopy, and I met with Miss Anna Young. And uh, I sat and talked with her for a little bit, and I asked her if she'd seen anybody or heard of anybody named Brother Moses or had any knowledge of, of anybody by that name. She denied ever knowing this person, uh, never seeing him. So basically, that's kind of where it ended at that time. Nobody else would speak to me down there. We had a set number of days, weeks. If we couldn't solve a case, we just put it on the shelf and moved to others because they were stacking up on us. And again, I, I don't know whose fault that is. A lot of times I take blame myself. I wish I'd have spent more time on a case. But looking back, I, I, I just didn't have the time. A few years after speaking with Sharon, Detective Lentz heard from Moses' mother, Shonda Harper. She was looking for the son she gave away nine years earlier. The police went back to the property and tried to get more information, but were unable to develop any evidence that Moses lived and died at the House of Prayer. Slowly, the case wound down. Again, you know, we did everything we thought we could do back in the, in the days with what we had. We searched the property. We tried to run down leads. We talked to the, uh, the suspect at the time, which we didn't know was a suspect. And we just got no new leads. Nobody wanted to talk to us. We had one person on the phone call and saying that there was a um, her brother was in fact the one who who burned the the child. But nobody, we couldn't find anybody to corroborate that information. If Joey hadn't called the police back in 2016, authorities never would have dug back into the death of little Moses. What more could Detective Lentz have done with the information from Sharon in 1992? For years, investigators knew things were happening at the House of Prayer. They would visit the property, receive calls from doctors, parents, and concerned family members. Should they have been more vigilant? Even if a detective knows something is off, not quite right, it's a hurdle to establish probable cause for a search or an arrest. Sometimes a witness like Sharon Pugh, with firsthand knowledge, just isn't enough to move a case forward. You need more. You need corroboration. 
Today, police have the corroboration Detective Lenz was looking for. Former members are now talking. Years have passed. Many have moved on with their lives and no longer fear Anna. I wish I'd have had those people to talk to back in the day and we could have saved uh, 20 years. Anna is now charged with the first-degree murder of Moses, and she's awaiting trial. There are challenges for the prosecution, though, particularly because Moses' remains were never found. So the state must now prove Moses was born, was under Anna's care, and died as a result of her care, or lack of it. To that end, Anna may have handed prosecutors critical evidence— She collected Social Security benefits in the name of Moses Young until 2004, when he would have turned 18. I have five children now. Five children, yeah. And what are their names? During an interview with authorities in 2017, Anna admitted to just that. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Joy and Moses. A direct contradiction to her statements years earlier, when she told the detective that she didn't even know who Moses was. Anna doesn't have a trial date yet. The pandemic has delayed many cases, not just in Alachua County, but across the country. Authorities hope her trial will take place sometime in the latter part of 2021. Prosecutors will be calling some key witnesses. Sharon Pugh and her brother Thomas have both been given immunity and are expected to testify. John Neal will also take the stand. I was scared of Anna Young my whole life. I'm not scared of her anymore. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like to sit across from her and look at her. Uh, I have a feeling she's probably going to smile and try to act like, hey, Brother James. <laughs> I, I got a feeling she's going to try to, you know, I don't think she's, she's probably going to act like, hey, it's, we all, old buddies, how you doing? You know, smile. I, I really think that's how, how she's going to act. But as far as me, If I get the chance to tell her what she did and, you know, uh, how, how she, you know, because I'm angry for how she hurt my sister. And I want her, I want her to know. Um, After this investigation opened, the medical examiner's office took another look at the death of John's sister, Catania. It was originally classified as death by natural causes. Today, it's been changed to death by homicide. And a spokesman for the sheriff's office told us that Catania's death is now being actively investigated. So is the disappearance of Marcos Cruz. In fact, authorities in Michigan are also reinvestigating the suspicious disappearance of Anna's stepdaughter. Kathy Davidson was six years old when she was reported missing during a family trip in 1973. Somebody needs to be held responsible. So that adds more pressure, more questions. That's one of the most important things when I think about this whole case. That's also recognition for Kay that, yes, my sister... It's not a, um, like, somebody's got to be held responsible for what happened to you now. That's huge. There is something that comes up a lot during police investigations, especially within Black communities. 
It's a fact that cases involving Black murder victims are solved at a lower rate than white murder victims. Police argue that sometimes it's because there's a lack of cooperation from Black folks. But many Black folks often just don't trust that their cooperation will lead to any kind of justice. There were multiple things that happened at the House of Prayer where there could have been more attention from authorities. A tip that a child called Moses died on the property led to an investigation, but not any evidence. And before Moses, John, a young boy with deep scars, was seen by a doctor, but returned to the place where there was suspicion of him being beaten. And then, of course, there's John's sister, Catania. I firmly believe that if Catania was a Caucasian little baby laid up in the hospital bed, more questions would have been asked. Socioeconomics, race, are real, whether people want to admit it or not. Joy will also be taking the stand at her mother's trial, and it won't be easy for either of them. Joy continues to feel torn about turning her mother in. A lot of her family members, they still won't even speak with her because of what she did. Because of the fallout from all of this, Joy started a nonprofit organization called Prevent the Pain. On the website, it says its mission is to support victims who are, quote, brave enough to speak up at all costs, to stop someone they love or care for from causing pain to themselves or another. I mean, I'm angry at what she did. And I'm angry that um, that she was willing to have everyone think that I would be so evil that I would make something like this up just because I was mad at her. And I'm angry that even, you know, my daughter is doubts what I'm saying. And she believes my mom because they still talk. Through all the pain and suffering and horribleness and evil that happened there, most of us, if not all of us, still believe in God because it was as if what we learned there, a lot of what we learned there was right. It was true. It was good. If I had it my way, me and her would have went to the police station hand in hand. And I'd say, Mom, I love you. We'll get through this together. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me as well? We're back where we started, in Judge Mark Mosley's courtroom in Alachua County, Florida. All right, good morning. With the coronavirus still out of control, most of the people involved in this hearing are appearing through Zoom. Uh, We're here this morning for the case of State of Florida versus Anna Young, 2017, CF4334A. Anna Young is on screen from jail. Today, the prosecution is arguing that a key witness be allowed to record her testimony before Anna's trial begins. Uh, subsequent to that, the state received an email from the witness's husband who indicated that she had taken a turn for the worse. That witness is Sabrina Hamburg, the former member who says she took her two-year-old son Marcos to Puerto Rico and abandoned him there. Um, her, her, uh, her death is inevitable um, sooner rather than later. Um, and given the doctor's opinion regarding... Um, her health, and, and quite frankly, it's not only her remaining alive, but remaining in a, 
in a state of mind in which she is competent to testify as well. Sabrina has stage four breast cancer. The judge agrees to allow her to record her testimony so it can be played to a jury at a later date. So on November 4th, 2020, from her bed at home outside Fayetteville, Arkansas, Sabrina gave her testimony. Hi, Steve. This is Beth. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, I mean, real. how are you? Oh, I mean, right now I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk to Sabrina, but she was too sick. So I spoke with her husband, Steve, instead. And to try and, like this morning, I tried to feed her something. And she wouldn't eat anything. And I'm trying to get her to, you know, do you want some water? And then she's, I can't even understand what she's trying to say to me. It's just a whisper. I couldn't make it out. Mm. But, but, she's, but she's conscious. I mean, she's conscious, right? Steve has been at her bedside since her health took a turn. She would just lay there in bed all day, just watch. We'd put on Bible movies for her, and she'd watch those. But hardly any movement at all, and hardly any eating at all or anything. Though getting weaker every day, Sabrina was determined to testify. I said, it was super important to her. I was really surprised. Because I was thinking, and Rachel, our daughter, was thinking, no, she ain't going to do this. It ain't going to happen. Because at that point, she was like, just barely speaking in a whisper, but on the day, Sabrina found the strength. You know, she wanted to look nice. She was worried about her hair. Mm. And then to hear her voice, I mean, it's like, I was thinking, wow, you're coming around. You're listen to your voice here. It was, it was strong. It was strong for what, what it is now. One of the prosecutors traveled from Florida to Arkansas to be with Sabrina while she testified. A computer was placed at her bedside, and she began answering questions. She testified for about three hours. So I said, honey, you did good. And, you know, you did great. You're really uh, proud of you, whatever I said, after what I said, something like that. And But she'd already gone back to the uh, whisper mode, uh, how she has been for the last month now here at the house. Just um, almost nonverbal. Uh, very quiet whistle because I don't hear good anyway because my hearing aid, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, but she just speaking speak a whisper and now like today. She can't even put out a whisper. It's it's like she's trying to verbalize it, but it's nothing's coming out. And I know that the nurse told you today, you know, could the end is very very near. But I'm just so sorry that we don't have answers about Marcos. We've. We're doing our best. But... I've done something like this so many times, you know. If, if you were to find something now, gosh. It... Oh, well, such is life, huh? Mm. You know? Sabrina died one week after recording her testimony. The House of Prayer property has been bought and sold many times since the mid-1980s. Over the years, it's been upgraded and renovated. In early 2020, it was sold again. 
The listing says the kitchen has new appliances, original hardwood floors. The converted double-car garage can be used as an exercise area or dog room. It boasts that walking into the kitchen and looking out the French doors to the peaceful pasture will put you in the right frame of mind. There's enough land to raise livestock and enough big trees to feel grounded. I met God at the house of prayer. And I, I believed in God despite what I was going through. Like, I never stopped believing. I didn't, I just thought that was life. I never stopped believing there's a God. And now that I can read the Bible for myself, like everybody should, I can see that they just created their own religion. They weren't following the Bible. They weren't following the book of Acts. They made up what they wanted to do. And they're, they're going to pay. They're going to pay for it. Run on, will you may run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God'll cut you down. Sooner or later, God'll cut you down. This podcast was produced by Kathleen Goldhar, Beth Karras, Max Miller, and me, Leela Day. Our associate producer is Alexis Green. Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Additional reporting by Laura Isabel Gonzalez and Damon Fairless. Executive producing by Kathleen Goldhar, Beth Karras, and myself. Our UCP audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Laulangi, Susanna Rooney, and Linda Cohen. Special thanks to Athena Karkanis, Stuart Cox, Joe Berlinger, and Lisa Bryant. This is a UCP Audio podcast. For more information, go to our website, ucpaudio.com.